Welcome to the gathering at Adel. We're so glad to have you here to celebrate Advent with us. We are on the second Sunday of Advent, which is over peace. We'll be looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Man, I, I love this time of year. Advent is where we begin to just celebrate. We get to anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ. We get to, you know, for celebrate, remember his birth. Like Kelly just said, like he was, he was in heaven, seated on the throne of the fa- with the Father. And he chose to come down here to be with us. Not the wisest move sometimes, I think. Like, man, Lord, what were you thinking? But he knew he had a plan. And we, we, we celebrate that today. We celebrate that in this season. This season isn't about gifts and wazzle and whatever other hot tea and goodies. And Although I do enjoy the little Debbie they put out the Christmas tree cakes at this time of year. I do enjoy that. Obviously, you know, that doesn't need to be said. But, uh, you know, like, I love this time of year. And then we get to anticipate his return. What a glorious day it's going to be. I don't know when it is. I, I, I mean, if I stood up here before you and told you, hey, get ready, it's coming. Man, I, I just, I can't tell you that. I know that we're in the last days because the last days started when Jesus went to be with the Father in heaven. So we're in the, we're in the age of the church right now. And man, we look forward to, to seeing him return. And any fear or worries that I have about that are stilled and quieted because I get to stand before him face to face, see him for who he is, and I get to be with him. So take some time this week, slow down. In your shopping and your hustling and bustling and your baking and all of that, slow down. Remember, remember what this season is about. We're going to read 20 verses, okay? It's good. It's the Word of God. It's pure. It's unfiltered. So it's going to be up here. If not, and you have a Bible, you can pull it up there. This is a good opportunity for some snuggling. If one of y'all forgot a Bible, I don't never have to tell the Sandlins that. They, there's never not an opportunity for snuggling with them too. But for you other normal people, <laughs> you know, like look at Brian Trenton over here. They're about three chairs apart. See, that? that's normal, all right? That's good. We're in church, man. You know, but, but uh, this is a great opportunity to snuggle. We got 20 uh, 20 verses here to really dig into the word. And uh, so we'll be up here on the screen. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quir- uh, Quirinius, eh, I don't know, there's someone will say it better, was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. Verse 6, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Verse 8, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Verse 13, suddenly there was, a great, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel and praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven 
and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. (coughs) After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray as we dig into his word real fast. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word that is the truth. It's the only thing we need. The truth will set us free, Father. And so we just pray for the truth in your word to set us free today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I I love just a couple of observations. We're talking about peace today, but a couple of observations as we begin to look at, at this passage. I hope you took time to read through that this week. It's so good. I love how there's just certain things in there that stand out. Like this one, uh, verse uh, 19, uh, 18, 19, it says, All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. Isn't that just a great example of what to do when the Lord speaks to you? To not just be amazed at it and be like, man, that was so good. But to treasure it up in your heart and to meditate on it. Let that be the case when the Lord speaks to you. Another thing is the manger. And, and we have our promo for our Christmas Eve service uh, up there, you know, and it's a manger uh, made out of wood. But realistically, in the times that this was at and where they were, the manger was not made out of wood. It would have been made out of stone. It was a feeding trough. And so wood was not like as common as it is here as it was over there. So really, the manger would have been uh, made out of stone which is interesting, and plus that it's a feeding trough. Because at some point, Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. So like it's, it's foreshadowing that we're about to have to devour him in order to live. That's weird, I know, but it's cool. So there's that. I, I love how too, like it says that he was swaddled. And that, that swaddled meant that he was cared for. That somebody was responsible for him. He was looking out. He was being looked out for. And, and they say that the swaddling blankets, now they have all sorts of swaddling blankets. But what would happen is in that year that uh, you were betrothed, wife betrothed to husband, right? That's how it is, should still be. Wife betrothed to husband, right? You had The wife would begin to make a cloth. And, and it would be, I think it ended up being like five to six yards long, and they would use it in their wedding ceremony, but then also that cloth would then become the swaddling blanket for the baby. And so what it did is it signified that this baby is cared for, taken care of, had their stitches, their names, and not like their names, you know, but like had the history of them that, that was on, on there, and the baby was taken care of. And there's a, there's a prophecy in Ezekiel that talks about that th- there's going to be a time because of Israel's rebellion where they're... Where like the birth is coming, you will, be, you will not have salt applied to you. You will not have been washed and you will not be swaddled. And so for the, then Jesus to come swaddled as a baby. Swaddled as a baby proved the legitimacy of that child. And I mean, how much bigger is that when, when the rumors could be that, wait, wait a minute. So Joseph is the, the dad but not the father? Like how does... And so God is saying, hey, he is legitimate of that marriage. So good. How about the shepherds? The shepherds were 
nearby. Because the shepherds are raising sheep to be slaughtered. So, so you would travel from all over when the time came. And you would come and you would buy from them. And then you would go and make your sacrifice. The shepherds were right there. And they were, they were one of the first ones, if not the first ones, to be told about Jesus being born. And to be able to go and see him. But what is unique about it being the shepherds is that Shepherds weren't necessarily somebody you invited into your house every night. They, they slept out there with the sheep. They were smelly. They were nasty. They, they were, you know, those people. They were second class. They weren't really, you know. And so for it to be like, not only is he speaking to them, but after the shepherds went there and saw him, it says they proclaimed the great news. The shepherds were the first ones to proclaim the good news of the gospel. What it's doing is saying, hey, all you religious elite that, that are dressed in your robes and your fine linen and you smell good, look good, do all of those things. You're well educated. You've got it all figured out. I'm taking it from you now. And the good news will be preached by those people. Praise God, because that, that's us. I, 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 some of you guys are looking better than you normally do today. John, one of them included. You got that nice jacket on. But, man, we're still dirty and nasty. We've been washed clean and we get to proclaim the good news of the gospel. I love how verse 14 right there, it says uh, that glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. Man, what, what is that? Can you imagine just seeing that? It says that the, uh, how does it say it? There was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel. It, that, that word host means the army. Like, like the heavenly armies begin to proclaim Man, this is the good news. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Peace on earth to the people he favors. And you can go into that, like, don't, don't get hung up on to the people he favors. That's just how this version of the Bible that I enjoy says it, but it does mean to all nations. And so that's fun. Don't, don't get caught up on that one thing. All right. I love the, this word peace. I think we've come into a time where we, we keep trying to redefine peace, and we're like, Oh, well, well, peace isn't necessarily absence of war. It really means this and that. And, and we're, we're just trying to be too fancy. Man, the, the word says peace. You go to the Greek word, which is irene. Irene is the word of peace. And it means this. It has four different meanings. One, it means to the exemption from the rage and havoc of war. Peace between individuals are harmony. The way that leads to peace, which is salvation, and assurance of salvation, fearing nothing from God. That, that word means binding or joining together again that which has been separated. It, it does mean, the first meaning is exemption from the chaos and havoc of war. We, we are exempt. We, we touched on this maybe a couple weeks ago. What was that because of the blood of Jesus... We never have to know the wrath of God, which is unbelievable because you know who deserves it? Every one of us. For the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so like this word is peace on earth. What it's saying is you're free from, you, you have an exemption from the chaos and the havoc of war. There is no more war between us and God. He looked at you and he's satisfied with you. 
We struggle with peace with God. So like when Jesus is talking about, like we struggle with having peace with God because we don't know what that looks like. We, we think trying to be good people is, is peace with God. You can never be good enough. Good is never good enough. You, good people will not get into heaven. You, you, can, you can be good. You can be gooder than others. You can be the goodest of all the land. And you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you confess him as the Lord and Savior. But, but we want to be good because we don't want to have to actually face our sin and our, 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 our issue. That there was a chasm that separated us. There was a, there was a gap that separated us. We were together in communion. Adam and Eve chose to, to take away from that. And they were banished from the garden. They were, they were in communion. And now there was a gap that, that, that you could not close. You cannot be good enough to close that gap. You can't tithe enough. You can't serve enough. You can't grab all 19 of these tags. I mean, it'd be great, but you can't do that and get your way into heaven because good is never good enough. Good will never give you peace with God. You keep trying to do this and that, this and that to be good, and good is never enough because what used to be good is no longer good. That's a good one, right? What, what used to be good is no longer good. Like it used to be okay for me to watch a rated R movie. Yeah. I, had, yeah. I had peace in my heart about it. Then as I've matured, that was a long time ago, now I can't watch a rated R movie. That doesn't say anywhere in the Bible, thou shalt not watch a rated R movie. That is what the Holy Spirit is telling Jeff, that I don't need to put that junk in my body, in my mind, in my heart. And so this was good, but good is never good enough because now this is good. And man, maybe eventually, maybe, maybe not, but he'll say, hey, why are you even entertaining yourself with that stuff at all? Why, why even bother with, with TV and movies at all? Like, you don't need that. So good is never good enough because at some point, what was good won't be good anymore. But what is true will always be true. That never changes. You know, I mean, look at the way we've progressed as humans. It, just even here in America, the, the way that, that men in the, the pre-19th century, 20, late, like they treated women a certain way. And that was okay and that was acceptable. Not, not in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of man. But that's not okay anymore. It never was okay. But now what used to be acceptable is no longer acceptable. Because good is always changing. That's why good is never good enough. Because good is like the, the rules of, of religion. Religion tells you just be good. Be a good person. Think about other people more than you think about yourself. Give, serve, be in the nursery with the kids, right? Do this, do that. And, and you have all these things to be good. But good is never about your heart. Good is always about your behavior. Jesus doesn't want behavior modification. He wants life change. He wants what was dead to now come to life. That, that, that where you were dead in your sin and your trespasses, that now you've been brought back to life. He doesn't want you to be a better human. He doesn't want you to be the best that you can be. He wants you to be dead to yourself. He, he wants you to lay it all down. We were dead, we were made alive, and why are we made alive? So that we can die again. 
Weird. We were dead in our trespasses. We were made alive in Christ. And now he says, take up your cross and follow me. You need to die again. (laughs) I don't understand that one. But why do we not have peace with God? Because we're trying to be good. And you cannot be good enough to get into heaven. Peace from God does not come with being good. Peace from God, peace with God comes from knowing where you stand. We, we talk about this a lot, that, that our standing is never affected by our circumstances. That, that he's here, here's his presence. We confess with the mouth, believe in our heart, right? That by grace through faith we have been saved. We are in his presence. We are now declared the righteousness of God. Not not that we will become righteous when we stand before him and he washes us clean and we're purified and we're in heaven with him. We are now the righteousness of God. And nobody can take that away from you. I don't know. People like to argue once saved, always saved. Nowhere is there that in the Bible. But I do know that no one can take away your standing. We, we want to create arguments and theological discussions only so that we can be wiser and smarter and prove other people wrong. But what I'm telling you is that once you are standing with him, you cannot not stand with him. You are bought and paid for. My sons are my sons. It doesn't matter the life choices. It doesn't matter what they choose to do, who they choose to marry, and now they have a baby. It doesn't matter any of that stuff, where they go to college, what kind of car they drive. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they spit in my face, if they hate me, if they walk away from me. They're still my sons and my daughters. Nothing can take that away. Our circumstances do not change our standing. Because once you are in right standing with God, you are in right standing with God. The, the enemy cannot steal that away from you. Pornography cannot steal you away from your right standing with God. Addiction cannot steal you from that right standing with God. Nothing can. But yet all we're trying to do is be good enough because we just want to pass the test. We, we, we don't want to have to really give things over. and We don't really want to have to die. We just want to be good enough to get into heaven. Because that's ultimately what we think it's about, is to get into heaven. We, we tithe, but do you know that we don't tithe and give money? So that we can say, oh, check that off, that's good, that's 10%, great. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. He doesn't need your 10%. He wants you to be open-handed and go, Father, I, I don't have much, but all that I have is yours. And if that's 10% or 200%, something like that. Maybe you mortgage your house. I don't know. Right? But everything that I have, it's yours. Good enough will never be good enough. We're going to read right up here is the uh, Romans chapter 5. Man, this is such a power. If you ever just don't, have, don't know what to read for a couple of years, just start in Romans 5. And when you finish that in a couple of years, then you can, I'll tell you something else. Because that is phenomenal. Romans 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory. There's my scripture background. You can tell Lauren when you sit down with lunch. He backed it up. Right standing. We are the righteousness with God. We have peace with him. Romans 5, 1 and 2. And then it goes on even more and it says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved, be saved through him from wrath? 
We will never experience the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God our, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. That we were once enemies, and now we've been brought near to him by the blood of Christ. Brought near to him is that peace that we experience. Separation causes chaos. Right? When, when you're traveling and on the road and you're working and, and you're trying to run a family and, and your household and you're on the road and there's distance. It's chaos. And if a husband's gone for two weeks at a time, it's chaos. If a wife is gone for one night, it's chaos, right? Like, I mean, the guys can be gone for a long time. And it's like, oh, yeah, we can hold it down. We got it, you know. Like, I think sometimes I'm holding my wife back. Like, she's like, man, I just, I got you, man. Just, just why don't you go, go work out of town for a bit. But, like, that separation causes chaos. And where there's chaos, there's not peace. But now it says that while we were still enemies, that we've been brought near to him by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our proximity is what produces our peace. Because the, clo the closer we are to him, the more we get it. When, when, when you're gone, you, you lose the grace for one another. But when you get back before one another and you see them and you look in their eyes, it's like, man, all that's gone. Who cares? Peace with God is possible, but it's not by being good enough. It's not by being good, because good is never enough. I love Colossians 1, 19. You don't have to turn. It's not up on the screen. Somebody told me this the other day. I don't know why. I never knew this. But, you know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Y'all ever get those confused? Or is it just your pastor? But you can just do uh, go eat popcorn. I'm like... Bro, I've been using that every day. That, why are we not preaching that stuff? That's what will change you. Go eat popcorn. That's the, that's the order. All right. So good. You're like, he's wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's changed my life. I've avoided those books or like preaching because I'm like, man, I, I can't look up here flubbing through this. Like, where is that? So now I'm just like. There you go. Now we're in Ephesians. The Lord is good. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. It says, For God was pleased to have him, have him, all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus Christ, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It is only by his blood that we can have peace with him. And if you've never had peace with God, you're missing out. It's the most peaceful thing there is to not have to worry if I say this wrong if I pray this wrong if I only give eight percent instead of ten because things are a little bit tighter if, if I don't do this then what's going to happen but to just know that you're loved by him allow the truth of his word convict you and lead you instead to allow the rules of regulation to bring on shame and guilt and condemnation on you to walk in the peace and an understanding that I'm loved no matter what. It comes by a continual washing of his blood. Like, like it's, it, it, it's a one-time thing. Like, man, saved. But you are saved. 
You are being saved, and you will be saved. There's a continual washing. And I'm not talking about a continual come before him, pull out your list of all the things you did wrong, said wrong, and thought wrong today. All right, Lord, here's my list. Here's my sin list. Nope, not at all. The Holy Spirit will convict you. He will convict you. But but you have to continually be washed by him. Allow the, the freshness of the blood to wash over you, to cleanse you. Receive the love of the Father. Man, nothing will radically change your life until you understand that you're a son or a daughter of the Most High God, no matter what. That, that, that we were aliens is what the word says, that we were foreigners in a foreign land, but we've, that we've now been adopted as sons, and not only sons, but co-heirs with Christ. Walk in the confidence of a son and daughter. You, you want peace with God? Walk in the confidence. Quit, quit doubting yourself. Quit doubting God like, oh, is this okay? Is this bad? Should I do this? Should I do that? Walk in confidence. Don't doubt your salvation. Don't doubt your standing. Don't doubt your calling. Turn to Philippians chapter 4 with me. Jesus, they came and they said, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. He brought peace with God, but then he brought peace with ourselves. And you've already been able to utilize, go eat popcorn. There you go. Philippians chapter 4. I might not have given you the, the signal to quit snuggling, so if you still are, you can separate a little bit. We've been going on, we've been done with that passage for a while. So here we go. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Once you have peace with the Father, you can have peace with yourself. There's so much turmoil that goes on inside of here, between these ears, between in this head. So much turmoil because there's not peace in my heart. We spend so much time and effort and money to try to be somebody else because we don't have peace with ourselves. We look at ourselves and we go, man, I, I cannot be made in the image of God. I've got one big app, you know. Man, that's not pleasing to the Lord. We look at other people and they're like, man, I I don't pray like them. I I don't make as much money as them. I I don't look like them. I don't act like them. I don't talk like them. There's so much turmoil that goes on inside of us because we're trying to find out who we are. You will never have peace peace with yourself until you have peace with God. You have to understand that you were made in the image of the Father. When you look around at all this room, and we were all made in the image of the Father. He didn't make a mistake. Newsflash. Some are skinnier than others. It doesn't matter. But but we put so much emphasis on it. We we do yoga and diet plans and and Whole30s and all these things because we want to look better. We want to have our our beach body so that we can go to the beach and not feel self-conscious or not to feel ashamed and ugly. But we're made different. 
It doesn't make sense. Some people have hair their entire life. Some people lose it when they're 20. (laughs) 15. Why does it matter? We put so much emphasis on this stuff. It doesn't matter if some people make more money than others. It doesn't, the amount of money you make is not a reflection of the amount of love that God has for you. You can fit into a size two. That doesn't mean he loves a size 19 any less. Why? Why Why are you trying to be somebody that you weren't created to be? Because you know what it tells God? You made a mistake with me. why, Why am I this? Why am I that when no one else is? Because you're unique and there's only one of you. Helen Keller could have really stopped at any point and just said, man, this is... Life is unfair. Or she can rejoice in her shortcomings because it says, for where I am weak, there he is strong. We place so much emphasis on the things of this world and they don't matter. Because we don't have peace with ourselves because we think that he made a mistake when he created us. He did not make a mistake. You are unique and you are the only one of you. you. You have an ability to influence people that won't even open the door to me. You, you, can, you can be upset with the, with the life that you've lived and, and the choices that you've made, but there's freedom in your heart, Damien, that only you have. You, you can sit in front of a man that's gone through the same things as you and you'll be able to bring freedom to him. He'll look at me like I'm a dummy. I don't know what he's talking about. I've never been there. And you can be mad like, Lord, why, do I have, why did I have to do this? Or you can rejoice in your weakness and say, Father, in, your, in my weakness, please be strong. I don't, I don't know why. Who, who cares about looks? Like, maybe, maybe your spouse, maybe. But, but even then, like, honestly, who are you trying to impress? You'll never find peace with yourself and anything that's outside of yourself. Peace only comes from what's within you. He gives us our peace. He gives us his peace that will guard our hearts and our minds. No amount of self-improvement will make up for the lack of self-worth. That's a good one. Might write that down. Tag me on Facebook. Get me from the front, not the side, all right? <laughs> he brought peace with, him, with God. He brought peace with ourselves, but then he also brought peace with others. We're called, it says, make every effort to live at peace with one another. I think it's uh, Hebrews 12, 14. Let me see if I got that one. There's my little cheat sheet. Went too far. Uh, Hebrews 12, it should be up here on the screen. Come on. It says, pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make every effort. Pursue it. Without peace, no one will see the Lord. No one can see the Lord. We can preach from the rooftops. 
we, we can go to that RV park in Garner and we can buy them everything they've ever wanted. But if there's not peace among us, it says that no one can see God. Why is the world lost and wandering in darkness? Because the light has been separated, been fragmented. When you put all the lights on in here and it's like, man, that's really bright and it can get brighter. But if you take all of these lights and you spread them out all over Parker County, it's going to be really dark. And that's what happened to the church. We've been trying to present God to the lost. And I'm doing it over there, and you're doing it over there, and we're bickering and fighting because I think the one thing, you think another, and, and all of this, and we have all these debates, and we have all these denominations. The world will not see God until we come together as a church and as a body. And now that's the global church, but until we in this room come together, thank you, until we come together in this room, the revival that we're praying for, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we know is going to happen, will not happen. Because we're too busy trying to do our own agenda. Make our own platform. Get our own stage. Make every effort. Be, undef be unoffendable. How do you have peace with one another? You make every effort. You actually try. And then you're unoffendable. Nobody in this room, and I can say that because my wife is in the other room, nobody in this room can do anything to offend me. But man, she knows how. And I know how to offend her. I mean, I, I can't offend Brady. But just even one look from Amy, and he can be offended. Because we, we know that look. Yeah, y'all are the only ones in here. <laughs> but you don't like, be unoffendable. Like, don't think so highly of yourself that someone can't correct you. I mean, and y'all feel free to always correct me. Send it to Brady.Sandlin at GatherInAdel.org. Send all those corrections to that email address, right? But like, I cannot think so highly of myself that, that I can't be corrected are shown something from you guys. To think that I have it all figured out reveals my lack of having it all figured out from the very get-go. Be unoffendable. Give it to God. Don't come to me with it. Because you know what? I'll be on your side. Because I'll say, you, they told you, they said that about you? Okay, let's go get them. That, that's wrong. That's not true. Don't come to me with it. Because I'll be on your side and we'll have pitchforks and all that. Like, we'll go get them. You give it to God because God will lead you and guide you and correct you. He'll speak the truth of the word to you. How we treat each other in the church affects how, the outs how those outside of, this, of these walls see God. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to just take a few moments. I'm going to ask three questions. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak over you, in you, through you. Are you allowing religion to steal your peace with God? Is there an area in your life where you're trying to be good enough and you keep banging your head on the wall because good is never good enough? What is one insecurity? This is, it's getting like real 
at this moment. What is one insecurity you have? Peace with yourself comes from laying down all your insecurities and trusting that God is good, that he loves you and cares for you. What is one insecurity you have? And I want you to lay it down. We're going we're gonna to close our eyes. We're going to pray. And he's going to speak an insecurity to you. And I want you to just say, Father, that's it. It's always been it. And I give it to you. Last one. Is there someone in your life that there's not peace with in the relationship right now? That when you see in Walmart, you kind of hurry up and go down the other aisle. Hypothetically speaking, not from experience. Is there one person that you try to avoid that you don't want to be around? So take those three questions. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak into you. And we don't have to yell and scream and war and fight and jump up and run around and do all those things. All we have to do is say, Father, I see that and I agree with it. And I give it before you now. So, Father, we just come before you. We ask, we ask these questions. Am I trying to be good enough? What's an insecurity that I have that I want freedom from? And who do I need peace to be restored back in our relationship? Father, we give these to you right now. Be like Mary. Don't just be amazed. Like, man, Lord, you spoke to me. That's the first time I've heard your voice. But treasure it up. Meditate on it. Don't rush. Father, we... We ask these questions not for any other purpose except because we desire peace. We want peace with you, peace with ourselves, and peace with our brothers and sisters so that the lost world can see you. Father, we give you these things. We confess them to, before you now. We say, heal us. In Jesus' name, amen.